This is Dex of the Black Pants Legion. Welcome aboard to uh, another one of those odd Black Pants Legion podcasts, wherein the Black Pants Legion talks to you through the medium of sound. Yes, sound. That old weird thing that sneaks into your ear holes and makes your brain do the happy. Or a sad, depending on your state of mind, I suppose, and how well we do our jobs. Anyways, today's going to be a little bit different. I'm here by my lonesome, and I decided I'd answer some of the questions that have come in. I decided I wanted to give Mike time off from having to sound engineer, and all the other projects, and let him enjoy his day. Also, I wanted to answer questions. If this episode goes well, you'll see one of these styles of episode every five or ten, answering questions and offering uh, opinions and such. Got my coffee here, so, uh, yeah. So here we go. Curtis Thompson writes, I hope everyone is doing well during these difficult times. Here is the question. What were the most common battle mechs to see on the field leading up to the clan invasion? Regiment numbers for the succession wars, production numbers from industrial complexes and descriptions of certain mechs, Parentheses, wasp, locust, stinger, in parentheses, don't quite add up for me just yet, so I'm hoping you could shed some light on this topic. For example, my favorite mech, the Wolverine, seems to have been made more or less in constant, continuous production since the Star League era, so I would imagine they were fairly plentiful, but references to them in the fiction and source books seem a little limited. Thank you for your time. Well, Curtis... That's a very difficult question, at least on the face of it. You have to realize that the source books will provide static data, but any book that is a novel, any piece of the fiction or fluff, as they call it, is going to be qualified entirely by the writer's point of view and what they like. So if the writer likes Warhammers, you're going to see a lot of Warhammers. If the writer likes... Missiles blowing up mechs, you're going to find a lot of mechs using missiles. If you like, uh, if, if the writer likes artillery, you're going to see artillery. If the writer likes tanks or cowboys, you're going to see tanks fighting cowboys, whatever. So the writer's point of view is always going to have their favorites in it or the stuff they like describing or visualizing in it, whereas the source books are going to give you something a bit more lore-friendly. Um, most common mechs, and I assume you're talking, when you say the lead-up to the clan invasion, you're talking the old era of Battletech, so like 3025, and the clan invasion hits the periphery in 3049. So 3025 to 3049, the availability of mechs is going to be kind of at an all-time low. The inner sphere houses are still producing mechs, but after four succession wars, they're diminished, and after the four succession war, there's kind of a break in hostilities. They start to rediscover some things. The Grey Death Legion gets the uh, Helm Memory Core back, so you start to see some of these old technologies reemerge, but they're not great. They're not as good as the original Star League stuff, but they're getting to it. Industrial lines get tooled up. If you're talking about the Succession uh, Era Wars, Succession War One, um, you know, the first Succession War, ends with all of these awesome mechs and stuff becoming very rare, and by the fourth, you see them becoming very, very basic. So you don't see any ER lasers or pulse lasers, you don't see double heat sinks, you don't see any of the sophisticated stuff, and that's where you get the 3025 TRO. Um, but... If you want to know what each house was using, go get the house source books for all that. Um, for most common mechs, you, all you have to do is go on Sarna and look at what was produced, and they'll let you know in the lore if those factories or production lines were destroyed or restarted in what years that happened. So some mechs will see a production line end, and there's nothing there anymore because the production line has ended. It has been destroyed. And then when new technology comes out, like um, XL engines or what have you, or ferrofibrous armor or endosteel, when all those things become available again, you start to see the design come back because it suddenly becomes viable because they have that technology again. Or there's a market for it. 
But there's some designs that are so fucking simple they just keep making them, like the awesome, um, like the Wolverine, like the Clint, like um, the Vindicator, which was made on an extremely low technology base. And you, you find a lot of these designs, the ones that endure, the very rugged ones, where you can just keep swapping them out. So you see some mech designs go away that require all of these really advanced components, and some that are just idiot-proof get dumbed down even further, where they go, okay, we don't have Aero 4, so now it's an LRM platform, or we don't have medium pulse lasers, so it's medium lasers now, but more of them. So you find a lot of that in there. Um, do your research. It's going to depend on what house, and also if you're playing mercenaries, what's available on the market. Um, there's always max. Unless you start talking about some of that Dark Age stuff or you start looking into like the, the Jihad era or any of that other stuff. So that's kind of a complex answer. I hope I rambled uh, enough. But um, yeah, there's always going to be, just keep in mind, there's always going to be that difference between the lore answer, which is in the source books, who has what, who produces what, where it's made. And then there's the fictional take on it, which is a point of view take. Um, and that all depends on the artist, because would a fusion engine blow up in a thermonuclear bomb? No, but Stackpole likes them too. So there's your fiction narrative point of view that factors into stories, and that's fine. It's just two different points of view on the same thing. And points of view can be fallible, uh, unreliable narrators. And any good story requires some embellishment, I think. Any good story worth telling, that is. Because if you just told the flat facts, then, well, shit gets pretty boring. Um, so, yeah, thank you for the question. Next up, Dear BPL Brain Trust, I've got some fodder for the podcast if you're so inclined. I am. You are going to face an opponent, one-on-one, -on -one, who is piloting or commanding your favorite mech-slash-starship-slash-whatever from your favorite respective universe, Battletech, Star Trek, etc., what do you choose in order to make their life an ever-loving hell? Please exclude the following from your answers. Oh, you're qualifying it now. Well, let me drink my coffee. Ah, uh, well, this person knows me. Please exclude the following from your answers. Ford artillery observers, Ford air controllers, kill sats, big-ass rocks drop from orbit, or another bigger fish. Hmm. I'm going to face an opponent one-on-one -on -one who is piloting or commanding your favorite thing. So they have my favorite thing. So let's let's just do Battletech because I love Battletech. I also used to love old 40K, the newer lore I've said my piece on. Um and in Star Trek, I'm a huge Trek nerd, but let's let's just go with with Battletech. And let's say they're driving an awesome. What do I choose to make their life an ever loving hell? Um, easy, a fast opponent, a more maneuverable opponent, or a very soft soil. Um, in anything to make an awesome run and chase and overheat, because PPCs are a motherfucker, and in that low technology base, uh, single heat sinks are not fun. Um, but anything fast moving is not an awesome's friend, depending on model. However, you know, um... And anything requiring piloting checks is just going to make it nasty. Be like, oh, I'm going to go hide in the woods, and then I'll start a fire, and I will burn your mech down. Or I will make the soil really uh, soft. Or if I'm fighting an awesome, uh, shitload of infantry. People overlook that. Infantry in uh, defilade with heavy weapons or ambush stuff. You know, you get out your angry Play-Doh, and you go over there, and you show them uh, who's boss. So, question the second. Let's give Battletech the Blood Bowl treatment. Oh, what mechs would you pick to fill the 11 positions of a football team? Note that while crippling the opponent team through harder soft kills is a legitimate strategy, the game is still decided by points, so you need mechs capable of carrying, launching an appropriately sized football to the end zone. There's an issue with this. Um, if I could choose anything, why would I not choose... Um, the heaviest, nastiest, shootiest things with C3 computers and ECMs and big active probes and then just stomp forward and kill them all. I mean, Steiner Scout Lance would be it. But if we're talking something where everything's in rolls, all my linemen, all of my linemen uh, on the team are going to be 
um, because I'm an Intersphere guy, they're going to be Atlases and Highlanders. Uh, my running backs are going to be something like the Charger, one of the few cases where the Charger excels, where you have this assault mech that can run real fast and has heavy-ish armor for uh, what it would be running into. The Charger would be my mech for carrying the giant football. Um, the quarterback, probably an Axeman just to switch it up. And uh, any of any of my uh, tight ends or running backs are probably going to be hunchbacks. Maybe a catapult or two, just as a splatapult as a surprise. And maybe a cyclops um, in, in there as the center. Maybe. You know, C3 equipment, often overlooked. Um, question the third. Goddamn Capellans are in your yard again. What manner of periphery hillbilly slash Viet Cong slash Georgi or Gorgi Zukov, sorry, I don't have my glasses on, um, shenanigans are you going to pull is to make them get out? All right. What do I do to make them get out? Uh, Capellans are in my yard. Well, um, propaganda always helps show what happiness looks like or the truth looks like because they won't be able to uh, deal with that or their political officers will shoot them. Um, I mean, in all honesty, the periphery is just really good at making people leave because you occupy, you, you occupy a planet that is a giant dust ball and has no resources on it and isn't worth dying or fighting for. And the locals will just meld into the hills and chant Wolverines while shaking AK-47s at you. And they're about as hospitable as Tusken Raiders. So, I mean... If the Capellans came down, they're going to come down pretty much like Red Dawn. They're going to sit in town with all the tanks and stuff and march around. And you just wait till they go out on a patrol and maybe some of them don't come back. Uh, standard asymmetrical warfare strategies would probably work just fine. But knowing Capellans, uh, find their commander. Once that guy goes away, everyone else goes home. P.S. He writes. Please send fresh hay for the intern pen floor. I think we've got scabies now. Respectfully, he signs, the real hoopties of Genesee County. Well, no more hay. We we have a budget, I'm sorry. And you guys on the intern floor are going to have to make do. That's the rules. All right, coffee and next question. Dear BPL, you guys sound different based on what podcast episode you're on. Are you changing equipment or what gives? Signed, an audio guru. Okay, I'm presuming you're a sound engineer or something. Something similar. Um, or aspiring to be, or just an audiophile. Um, yeah, so podcast number one was shot in person with mic adjusting audio levels. As we went on, everyone was mic'd up with the best mics we have. Shotgun mics, everything. And um, that one sounds, I think, the best for multiple parties. Um, episodes two through four were done over Discord, and Discord is an awful service for trying to record audio. Um, I, we've looked into other stuff like Streamcast and what have you, but it is uh, pricey for for what we're doing right now. And the other issue is when you have a disparity in microphones and recording recording uh, software, or if you have a disparity in anything, it, you can hear it. This is an ElectroVoice RE20 microphone, which really does well to pick up the, um, the tone and timbre of my voice. This is my normal just kind of chit-chatty voice. Um, but if someone else has a different microphone, then you have to balance those two two sound files and they can be out of sync I mean I don't know how Mike does it but he does it he uses uh, like electronic gremlins and magic and he casts spells but um, yeah shit's gonna sound different depending on so I think the best ones we've got are probably gonna be when people are in a room together or mic'd up together and you can kind of tune that as you go and get it all on one track I think so that does vary a lot the other thing Mike found out is that if he tries to put a filter over it, um, when we have someone else, my voice will like bottom out and like cause people's subwoofers to rattle windows, which I think is hilarious. Um, but there's we're learning as we go along, so we'll enhance as we can. And we don't have like a full time sound engineer in the Legion or anything. We're we're all kind of amateurs. 
So I, I do apologize for that kind of flip-flop. But um, I, I guess that's just kind of how it is. And I'm, I'm glad someone picked up on it. It shows someone's listening. Uh, next question. Dear BPL, why do we have so many people giving you shit over the next Text Talks Battletech? I'm a patient. Oh, I, I thought he was saying B-O, but he write, he, he wrote boy is B-O-I. So I'm a patient boy. Uh, but I don't hate... But I don't hate yourself on account of haters. I think he means to say don't hate because hater. Okay, and then, yeah, so no name on that one. Um, a lot of people subscribed to the YouTube for Battletech because they thought that's all I do. And I think that's what they expect. They expect a two-hour video to come out, like, every week. And I could do that if I had a team of 20 people working on this and if I had a budget that was about 20 times what I've got and I had no day job. Or I could do a video a week if I read straight off the wiki, which some lore channels do. That's their thing. Um... I, I have a method that's a little different from that. I have a day job. Mike has a day job. A lot of people who are in this are volunteering their time. So I don't... I mean, you know, all of the guest voices and gag voices for the commercials and stuff, those people volunteer their time. And even though it may only be 15 minutes of work or whatever, it's, you know, I, I don't push them on it. So that can also cause delays. But... Even just Mike and I's part is like 800 to 1,200 hours, and there's 740 to 760 hours in a month. So it's it's impossible to get these things out. And I've tried to explain that uh, uh, quite a few times, but if you scroll through the comments um, on my channel, there are people who are irate that I enjoy other games or am not making another video, and they'll say, it took you long enough, or what have you, because they just want that kind of automatic gratification, and um, I, I guess in the modern era, that's that's what they're looking for, because comparing um, my channel to a channel that has like 10 times the following, they've got about 5 to 10 times the budget, so they can do stuff faster, quicker, neater, better, because they've got that much more money to throw around, um, I don't, I do not. So they see that channel and they see my channel and they assume that these two production styles are very similar where in reality it comes down to resources and time. So I, I think a lot of people don't understand that and they don't give a fuck whatever I say about, Hey, I'm, I'm working on it. They don't believe me till it's out. And then a day later they want more. So they're going to have to wait. Um, most of my fans that uh, support me on Patreon or uh, the, the people I realize who regularly comment, those, those people are very patient, very kind, and supportive. But I do see a lot of people giving me shit. I'm trying not to let that get to me. I'm trying to educate those people. But some people just don't give a fuck. And they, they do say some pretty pretty hurtful stuff. Um, but I, I think it's out of ignorance, not out of spite. So, um, next, next question. Dear BPL, about six months ago, or was it a year ago, you said you'd slow down on making content. And for a while you didn't, that's true. But then you held yourself to your word for reasons unknown to us. I did explain that. Um, and started to wind down. Yeah, I, I did do that. Sorry, I'm, I'm just going to read the question, then I'll respond. Um, some people hated that notion, but a few of us were finally happy you started taking care of yourself. Now you're exploding in content again. Can you explain what's going on? Do we need to be concerned? Do we need to send you to retirement against your will? What's up, guy? Signed, a concerned citizen. Okay, um, back when I first started making those statements that I can't keep going on like this, um, I was working an insane job with insane hours and insane stress and then coming home to make um 
the same tempo, pace, quality of videos, or lack thereof quality, uh, you know, self-effacement, or self, uh, God, I can't even think, having a brain fart there, but, um, yeah, I was just spinning like crazy, not sleeping, just, just throwing stuff out there, doing things as fast and furious as I could, and, I didn't slow down at first. Then I had people come up to me and like, dude, you can't do this. You can't make 30 hours of content a week and have multiple uploads a day and also go out of your way to work and then, you know, neglect sleep, neglect yourself. And so I was doing my, my best to make everyone happy. Um, and, and that was very self-destructive. And so I realized I couldn't do that anymore, um, and I decided to do something about it. I decided to uh, actually double down and say, look, this is all I'm going to make, and I'm going to concentrate on working on a lot more collaborative projects that take more time rather than force produce or stick to a schedule of just making stuff to make stuff. And so I did, um, and that's where, you know, you started seeing more polish on stuff like Text Talks Battletech, where we go from like, oh, yeah, here's a 10-minute video to here's a two-hour documentary, and that's really rewarding to do. Um, now, the problem is, is right now, we've got, um, right now, we're, as of the recording of this, we're in the isolation uh, phase of, of COVID-19 and all that, so... I realized I've got, one, a lot more free time because I'm not having to commute, which is uh, a good chunk of time as I am working from home. But I also realize that I've got a a lot of people who are at home, a lot of people who are bored, and a lot of people who are kind of scared and nervous. And I said, well, maybe I could shoot a little more footage. But then it became, well, what if we got people who were just sitting at home and waiting and doing nothing. What if we got those people to go out of their way and, uh, you know, use some of that nervous energy or some of that restlessness and make some footage? And so we had a lot of people in the Legion who had literally nothing else to do. Um, And many of them wanted to make footage. A lot of them really wanted to make stuff. They'd always wanted to have a shot at YouTube or just see if they could do it or see if they could shoot something or see if they can have fun and so one by one people started to come out and do that and it's been really fun so far seeing what people got um some of these people i've been encouraging to start their own channels or start making their own content for their own uh their own outlets wherever they are you know streaming or what have you um but it's been really fun I, I did get some hate uh, where somebody said, you're you're taking your fans' content and making money off of it. Um, so I, I did tally that up based on my network, and apparently uh, I have made all of them, I think it's 67 cents off the fan-submitted content. So I, I guess I am truly a monster uh, for all that, um, 67 cents being, of course, vast sums and riches. But, you know, um, hey... I, I I just wanted to do something fun. And so, yes, once once this all ends, I intend to go back to normal. I intend to do my best. I intend to wind it back down. But as of right now, we got a lot of fun stuff coming out. And if, if you're bored or what have you, check back every day. And I, I think we'll have some good good times out of this as best we can. Because I think we need to kind of try to pick each other up right now or use our energies in creative ways. Um, let's see. Next one. Hey, BPL, just listened to your third and fourth podcast. God damn, they were put out yesterday. Fuck. You're on it. Um, but, uh, let's see. Hey, man, I really need to put my glasses on. I, I'm, I'm feeling old and tired today. More coffee. Hey, BPL, just listened to your third and fourth podcast. Thought the Skeleton King made a fuckload more sense than anything they wrote. Following up on that, what other odd theories do you have for Tabletop? Okay, now that is a good question. That's, I'm not sure if I can answer that. I might have to revisit that 
for when I got like Mike or Goat or any of the other DMs in a Legion on the line. Um, yeah, the Skeleton King thing was, it, for those of you just turning in on this one, the Skeleton King thing was something I theorized uh, in episode three and four of the podcast. But um, on theories for tabletop, oof. I'm going to put a pin in that and I'm going to revisit that for when I have DMs on. If, because I, I think that if we got a room full of DMs and world builders, we could really start throwing some crazy shit out there. Because, you know, there was always the obvious stuff. Um, like Warhammer Fantasy is actually in the Warhammer 40k world because in one episode or one book or something. No, it was um, Libra Chaotica made that connection and then, um, wow, way to... Way to flex my stuff on 40k lore. Uh, but yeah, Libra Chaotica made that connection. And I think some of the first generation stuff, first gen rule books kind of made that connection. Um, but there's there's some other fun, weird theories that are out there. So I, I think I may revisit that. That's a good question. I hope I remember. I probably won't. Um, oh, cool. Yeah. I just realized something, and I know this is disorganized as hell, but uh, Anchor FM lets you take voice messages, and we actually have two of them. So I'm going to listen to them, and hopefully it's not, um, you know what, we should probably screen these uh, beforehand. So here's a void voice message from the fan base. I just heard this idea of the B-Squad, or B-Shift. And I gotta say, it's it's novel in the idea that so few times do people ever take consideration to the cleanup after, and you see the wires hanging down through ports and sparks going off. And I don't care if it's Star Trek, Star Wars, or any of the any of the sci-fi, or you can even take it a little bit farther to modern day crime shows or whatever. What a great idea for the people that have to clean up the mess. And I'm laughing because the whole concept of someone walking and be like, yay, great. What happened yesterday? So, I mean, really awesome idea, and I'd love to hear more about it. All right. Well, uh, that guy also left another message, but it looks like a short one uh, as a thank you note. And you're certainly welcome, sir. Um, yeah, the B-Squad thing was something Mike and I had mused about where, you know, you have your A-shift on like a starship and the A-shift on the starship is, you know, Picard or Kirk or whatever, all the notables. They leave, they go to the gym, they, you know, do their 40 chess, they drink, they eat their little magic color cubes, they pet tribbles, what have you. They Their time's over and then the night shift comes on and they have to like get the blood out of the bulkheads and the carpet and fix the fucking wires that are coming down and be like, what the fuck happened? You know, I mean, look at, look at the engineering crew, for instance, where, you know, Jordy or Scotty will rewire time and space to make the engine work. And they're like, oh, thank fuck, we're out of that one. And you go, yeah, but you're going to need to rebuild that whole computer. You know, those guys just left shift and were like, done and walked away. And the next shift comes on and they're like, oh, remember that quiet night you wanted? Well, yeah, uh, Jordy rewired the whole computer to save somebody from a pocket dimension. So you need to get that computer up and running so A-Shift can uh, go back to fucking things up. I mean, that would be so miserable. But that also comes out of, like, playing Space Station 13, where, you know, playing as the janitor is pretty much that job. Um, playing as the janitor is that job, in all honesty, uh, on Space Station 13. And we, we've touched on that a little bit more. I also intend to, uh, on a future podcast as well, uh, talk a little bit more about Space Station 13. So I will revisit that in time. But yeah, the B-Squad is, you know, you know the B-Squad exists on every starship. There's always the guy that's not the hero who's off screen, whose job it is to, like, get Gorn stains out of stuff. Or do very menial labor. I mean, Starship Janitorial, oof. Then again, that was a game series, wasn't it? Space Quest, I remember that. Mm, good series. All right, next one. Dear BPL, so you guys had mentioned about maybe doing the whole Star Trek thing up on the podcast. I'm pretty excited about that. What's holding you back? 
Okay. Um, to get the whole Star Trek thing on the podcast would be a little difficult because we're going to have to rip the audio out of those videos um, that are over on the Courtesy Flush and then upload them. So that would be a little a little difficult, um, at least in terms of time. And then we may have to go over the audio on those again because, again, that's over Discord and then it's streamed. And so there's going to be some compression issues and some other quality issues that could be rather nasty. So um, are we up for it? Sure. Because right, I, I love that Star Trek series. I'm very proud to have played the small part I played in it. I had a lot of fun playing in it. And now that it's winding down, I, I feel very sad because that has to end. But I feel very happy because it's not dragging on. It has its arc. And it feels really unique. And I'll treasure it forever. So I think Mike knocked that out of the park. Believe it or not, he's a first-time DM. This is the first game he has ever DM'd. Ever. Ever. And with very little preparation. I mean, he he had a little bit of lead time and then just went into it. And he's written all of these beautiful encounters just on the fly for the most part. Um, but he's he's written some outlines and stuff. And he he's really great at it. I mean, Mike is super talented. So, yeah, we do hope to get that on the podcast. And we'll just put it up in here. And we'll just put in episodes and in between we just talk about stuff. Like everything else uh, we do with the BPL, it's going to be disorganized as fuck, but who gives a shit? Let's have some fun. Um, okay, next one. <laughs> he wrote, Howdy Beeple. Okay, I get it. Yeah, that's the uh, it's that uh, Game Dev Sim episode where we made that company called Beeple. Howdy Beeple. I was going to make a Beeple t-shirt, you know. Beeple, the gaming people, the makers of laser tits. You okay with this? Signed Beeple fanboy. I'm absolutely okay with it. I've I've told people I don't want to ever sell merch um, for a lot of reasons. N namely because, you know, when you spend like $50 on a hoodie or something that has a really shitty print on it and then you wash it a few times and it just it all falls apart. I mean, that's, it's terrible. And, and it, I don't, I don't think that that would be a good use of your money. So I want people to kind of make their own, um, you know, just very, very easy for you to make your own very easy. So, I mean, please, if you, if you make a people t-shirt, I want to see it. Just like take a picture of that t-shirt. I, I do want to see that. Um, next, Tex, where's Medorf Ortris, Tex? Signed, Eurist. Well, uh, I need... Yeah, all right. I'll accept that. I, I need to get back to playing Dwarf Fortress. And now that I have more time, in big air quotes, I, sh I should probably do that. Relearn Dwarf Fortress. And the latest edition of it, I mean, the only thing I can really say is the latest edition of it does seem a little crashy. Krug Smash found that out uh, playing it. And I I may just stay on the version I've got and uh, play it because I love Dwarf Fortress. But recording Dwarf Fortress is not something I'm good at. Um, the guy who's got that locked down, like who knows that shit, is Krug Smash. And if you want more Dwarf Fortress done with competency, go yell at Pablo. Pablo Ichiban over on his channel. He's, he's in the Legion and he plays Dwarf Fortress like a god. Just yell at him. He'll, he'll do it. Um, next. Hi, Tex. You seem busy a lot. Walk us through a typical day before the zombie virus. Thanks. Dudeson. Oh, the Dudesons. I forgot about that show. That was like jackass, but finish? Yeah. Um, typical day. Uh, God. Wake up at 4.20, 4.30. Get ready for work on the train by 5-something. I don't want to mention the train time because then someone could find the train tables and then try to deduce where I live. Um, ride the train, go to work, work and do the whole thing in reverse, get home at 7, and then um, play a little Space Station 13, socialize in the BPL Discord, and then maybe watch an hour of Star Trek or something and then go to bed and do it all over again. And that's uh, Monday through Friday. 
And then on the weekends, I do whatever I want. So, yeah, that's that's pretty much a day. Uh, on the weekends before the uh, quarantine and all that, I would... Um, Saturdays, wake up early, go shooting uh, for an hour or two, come home, clean guns, watch a movie, hang out with a BPL, figure out what everyone's up to, um, figure out what people want to do, and uh, do it. I mean, we've, we've done all sorts of fun things. We'll play Jackbox, um, I'll stream if people are interested, or we'll just sit around and shoot the shit. We'll play Space Station 13, not metacoming, of course, but uh, we'll all pick a server and go go play as as a giant crew of people and uh you know just have have as much fun as we can there uh really enjoy uh our weekends but then you know sunday evening go to bed early again because uh the whole circus keeps on marching uh next question hey tex getting into battle tech here and want to know how to find a group sign not a capellan well that's funny but uh that's what a capellan would say um, if you want to get into Battletech, go to your local game store. Go to any local game store, any single local game store uh, worth their salt. will have a sign-up sheet board. There will be a cork board in the back with a sign-up sheet on it. And you will see games advertised for virtually everything. And if they have a Battletech community, there will be a sign-up sheet there. Alternatively, there are online Battletech groups. There's uh, a lot of Battletech uh, forums and so on. You'll be, find people, you know, like playing Mega Mech over the network. Um, you'll find a lot of different online groups out there. So if you just look for looking for a Battletech game, you, you go on any decent RPG or Mill Strat or Mill Sim forum, and you'll find people. Um, I would recommend learning in person. Learning hands-on is the best way to learn. Um, and I, I had recently a refresher game done over Tabletop Simulator uh, where the guy who plays Discount Dan um, in, in the Legion uh, was teaching everybody, including myself, because I have not played regularly in some time. Um, I used to play a lot, and then I didn't play at all for years because I had some fairly lean years, and I had to just get rid of a lot. Um, but we were, we were teaching a bunch of new people and learning like myself, relearning the rules, including some of the new ones. And he was introducing us to some of his house rules, which was pretty interesting. Some stuff to help fix, uh, initiatives, some stuff to help, uh, do some quick workarounds and what have you. And we had a good time. I mean, six hours and one guy died. So, or almost one guy died, and another guy fell down and couldn't get back up, and we realized that life alert needs to be a thing for Battle Max. Um, but yeah, it's it's really fun like that. So, I would say just check your local game store first, and and get thrown in, and don't be afraid of uh, playing games with strangers, because the Battletech community is all about helping each other. Uh, let's see. Hey, Tex. What gives the what gives with the clanner hate? Is it all some sort of inside joke? Signed, clan smoked Jaguar. Um, you have to understand that back in the day when they introduced the clans on tabletop, it was a mechanics fix to make the games a little more robust so you would have stuff with less armor but more guns and stuff would be a lot more lethal because the older style games, 3025 style games, are very slow until shit starts blowing up. And unless you bring out Assault Max, then it's just, you know, people clapping each other left, right, and center. Um, but you will generally find that the, the Clanner stuff was brought out to kind of give a, give a more lethal, quicker, nastier style of gameplay. The problem was is that you start ending up with these clan fans who are notoriously assholey um, towards um, players. And they were at my game store because when they first came out, there was no real way to balance stuff. The battle value stuff wasn't really set up well. So a lot of people would play Lance v. Lance or Tonnage v. Tonnage or some other worked out method. And the clan shit would just absolutely annihilate the inner sphere shit because, uh, by rules, the pilots are better, the mechs are way better because, you know, ER medium laser versus medium laser, ER PBC versus PBC, um, and with better pilots driving these things, you know, you have faster, significantly heavier armed mechs 
uh, driving against worse pilots with older equipment. And obviously, that's going to be a, a big change. And a lot of these guys were not gracious winners. So those of you in the 40K fandom who don't understand it, that guy at the game store who buys the latest, most broken army because they fucked up the rules again and always buys the latest, most fucked up army and then throws it into tournaments and stomps people, that's who the clan fans were back in the day. They, they were pretty nasty, and anyone who'd like to play and have fun would often find these guys being kind of jerks, and that, that was, that's not that fun. Ever since then, though, the issue has become uh, a lot of people look at the clans and they go, oh, well, they're the good guys because they're not these techno-barbarians that continually fight each other, and it's like, no, they're not. In Battletech, there are no good guys. There's shades of gray. Everyone is bad for some reason or another. War is eternal. Kindness is hard. That's one of the best ways to describe it. Kindness is hard. And everyone has some screws loose. But the problem is, is you occasionally come, come across these um, really fanatic fan guys who are like, no, lib or clan guys, clan fans, um, who, who will say, these guys are the best. They are the good, and they, you know, they're they're fighting all these techno barbarians or what have you, and bringing light and good and so on. And I go, no, they're crazy assholes from beyond the deep periphery who think that eugenics equals goodness, until they get their ass kicked by a telecom company, and it's absurd. But there there are some people who always try to find a good guy and stuff, and much like 40k, there is a certain grim darkness here in that there is no good guy. There are good people, but there are no good sides. Um, nations don't have friends. They and, and you learn this very quickly in Battletech, because this was Game of Thrones before Game of Thrones. But yeah, that's, it's, there's a lot of reasons for it, but those are mine. And I know that I'm painting with broad strokes here, but I, I think that's the best answer I can give at this point. Next question. Um, hey, I've watched BPL on and off for a while now. I had a question come up during virtual happy hour the other day. That's cool. People are doing that. And thought it would be, or thought it would make for interesting podcast fodder. If you had to form a system of government or community for a large scale population of about 1 million, interesting number, which of the following do you consider to be the best option for leadership? Career politicians? No. Credentialed journalists? No. Tenured professors? Depends on the professors. Um, or successful entrepreneurs? If there, there is no all of the above or none of the above. Okay. Depending on professors. Um, huh, yeah. I, I'm not going to turn over a society to an arts professor or a liberal arts professor, nor am I going to hand it over to just an engineer. Um, entrepreneurs would be okay, but the problem is, is I know how that is in real life. In, in real life, you know, you, if, if you have a successful entrepreneur taking over anything, you end up with like Coltsville or Wellsville or many of the other crazy places where someone just kind of runs amok. And it's much like Rapture, but far less successful. Just because someone can make themselves wealthy doesn't mean they can improve their employees' lives. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I'm going to go with the smartest. I, I would hope it would be tenured professors, but it would depend on the professor. I, I think an anthropologist would probably make a better leader of any tribe than someone who is a, you know, poetry professor or someone who's a literature professor, depending on literature, naturally. Uh, historian, maybe. Maybe, depending on era. But somebody who has a good fabric of the understanding of civilization. So I'd probably be an anthropologist. Um, next part of that question is, but hey, if you want to keep heavy-handed political shit out of the podcast and would rather tell me to piss off, I can respect that too. I suppose you could always translate this into Battletech factions. I'm not your mom and can't tell you what to do. Either way, here's a backup question so I don't waste your time. What is a movie that you absolutely love that you would consider outside of your normal wheelhouse that would surprise someone or listeners if they learned it? Um, I love The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. I love... A lot of Wes Anderson movies. So, yeah, there. There's one. Um, but as far as heavy-handed political shit, I, I tend to keep it off my channel. Um, I get aggravated at some stuff in politics, but I realize that most people have the governments they deserve. 
Um, and if you don't like your government, you can certainly change it. And you have to want to change it. But I, I also get kind of mad at the apathy of people who go, I'm going to show activism through social media but never actually vote. That makes me mad. Or people who stand on a soapbox and say, I cannot stand XYZ, but they do nothing to fundamentally change it. That makes me mad. Or people who try to tell other people how to live and yet do not live well themselves or by those rules. That makes me mad. And I have never heard a political argument or political analysis or expert opinion over YouTube or a podcast that swayed me in the slightest. Not once. And I've been listening to YouTube and podcasts and I've been forwarded my share of information from various sources trying to espouse wisdom on a point or another. And I'm not trying to say I'm smarter than these individuals or better read. But I have not once heard from a stranger over the internet any form of political discourse that I saw as a solution to the crisis prevalent in many civilizations throughout history, nor in our present case. And I think a lot of this is just clickbait nonsense to capitalize off of frustrated people who want to hit thumbs up to show that they care. So I try to keep that out of the podcast or YouTube because I see it as essentially drivel. But that is my opinion. And if you don't like it, you can certainly walk away. But thank you for the question. Um, let's see. Oh, and he signed it, Ryan. Thank you, Ryan. Rothgar here with a question about RP settings towards Mike, Goat, and or text. Tell you what, Rothgar, I'm going to pin that for now because I want to wait till I can get DMs and uh, stuff about RP settings. And I think that would be most fun. Because if I could have multiple DMs tee off on stuff, I could kind of MC it and uh, ask around and get people's input. So I won't waste that on just me. Let's see. And our last question, or two questions, no name. Mr. Tex, can you share with us your guilty pleasures? Okay, that's a weird one. Um... Guilty pleasures. I love old westerns. Um, I like hand-pressed organic soap. That is to say stuff not chock full of chemicals, but just old-style like Amish soap. Um, I like bacon. Just well-made bacon. I, I really enjoy bacon. Um, I enjoy old books about the sea and the ocean. I... Uh, I like gunsmithing. Um, I like listening to classical music. I enjoy jazz. I enjoy tabletop games. I enjoy browsing the uh, sub-TG archive and reading old world-building stories and stuff and kind of losing myself in those thoughts. I enjoy thinking on what if a lot. So yeah, um... Those are some of my guilty pleasures. And he asks a second one. I'm presuming he, because uh, that's what demographic says my uh, fan base is. Mostly deuterinos. Tanks, you seem to want to share intimate parts of yourself, but you never show your face or share your name or where you work, but you'll tell people about your grandfather and how he died or your favorite memories. It's an odd contrast, so Why? Tell me to fuck off if it's too much to ask. Oh, shit. Where do I start on that? Damn, these are deeper questions than I thought. You have to understand that I, uh, I don't like talking about myself, about my achievements, I guess. I, I mean, they occasionally spill out, but I, I'm very consciously trying to avoid any inf inflation of ego. And I constantly make fun of myself and constantly belittle my own modest, mediocre achievements because I don't want to ever, ever, ever fall into that trap. I, I have seen many people fall into that trap of ego, and I've almost done it myself, of, of starting to believe that you're greater than yourself. When you start to believe you're greater than yourself or your station in the world, you find you start inflicting harm on others because... 
you feel like you're not beholden to the same levels of conduct. And I, I see death of ego is kind of necessary for enlightenment, and I know that's not for everyone. So that's one part of it. I don't want to be identified, and I don't want to be identified in terms of a way that would reinforce who I am or what I was or how I was perceived to be. Um, the other thing is I like my privacy to a point. Um, I like my privacy to a point because I think it's one of the most, most precious things we have. Privacy. It's one of the most few precious things we have left, to be honest. I, I think a lot of that's been stripped out of us. Um, everyone is everywhere. I mean, if you Google someone's name, you, you end up getting their LinkedIn, their Facebook, their social media. You can see that whole person's life before you and piles of information about them. Giant digital footprints. And I've, I've always been kind of a private person. I, I like having that certain set of privacy or not being able to be reached or being out of contact and just being alone with my own thoughts and memories and wants. And so that's, that's kind of part of it. Um, but there is a quote that I know that I think ties into that. And it's uh, from Marilyn Manson, of all people. And he said that all you know about someone, all you know about someone is what they've sold you, especially where is all of this is concerned. So I feel that by not putting a face or my identity out there, I would never be in a position to sell you anything. And more or less, leave you ultimately the choice of believing me or not, or in following along or not, or liking it or not, but ultimately giving you that choice. By putting a face on it, it becomes a product. And I'm very much against that um, for personal reasons. But that's, that's just my... That's just my my thoughts on it at this moment. And as I've expressed many times, my thoughts on things do change with time and experience and knowledge and information. So, um, but that's the best answer I can give for the moment. Um, hmm. Some deep ass questions. God damn. Well, uh, that wraps up this QA and, uh, let's, yeah, I mean, wow. I got a lot to think about. Fuck you guys. Jesus. So, um, last thing, I do have one note here, and that is actually a, the only script I've got. Um, the deal for the podcast going forward. These are for when I'm bored or not wanting to do anything else or just hanging out with folks in the BPL. These podcasts are not ever going to be regular or anything special. It's just another venue to play with things and share thoughts and ideas. So, that being said, I want to thank the supporters on Patreon who keep throwing money at us to do stuff, stuff just like this. Mostly, I think they're Battletech fans, but hell if I know. Um, YouTube doesn't really allow me to engage with folks or pick their brain in meaningful ways as they've made communication in any direct uh, manner rather difficult. But I don't want to end this on a low note. So wherever you are, whatever you're going through, and however you intend to get there, stay safe, have fun, and remember guys, we're all in this shit together. <laughs>